Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and wondering just how much of adulthood is about worrying about getting enough sleep. I'm Rachel hmm. Perkins, Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller, and after a canceled flight and then a long sit on the tarmac this morning in the makeup flight, I got nothing. Today on the show, we're talking with Unmesh Kurup, Senior Manager in AI at LG Electronics. Hello, Unmesh. Hi, Rachel. Yeah, welcome, Unmesh. Glad you're welcome here. Welcome to the show. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's let's jump right in, Unmesh. Tell us about your uh, background, how you got to where you are today as a Senior Manager at LG. Um, so let's, yeah, let's go back a long time, huh? Uh-huh. Um, Way back I machine. was one of the... <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I like to tell people my my life is a series of very lucky coincidences, right? And I was just at the right time, at the right place to make use of that opportunity. And yeah, here I am. Um, I was was lucky enough that I was one of the first people in my city to have access to the internet when I was, um, I don't know, in middle school, Mm. right? And I was even more lucky that my brother was really into this thing. So I could piggyback of piggyback off of him. He, you know, shelled the money out to get internet, and I would not have gotten it. My mom would not have gotten it for me uh, at that age. So I was I was exposed to that at a very early age, where many people in India were not. And what that did for me was give me access to, most importantly, the fact that I could write the GRE, apply to universities in the U.S. and come and do a master's and a PhD here. Oh, wow. So that was one of the big lucky coincidences that happened. Um, you know, I, I came here at the perfect time. I, I graduated from my master's in 2001, um, which, as you know, was like the, the best time to graduate with a computer science degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a great time to graduate and go straight into a PhD program. Yeah. Yeah. Or even not graduate, but just say, you know what? I don't want to do my master's anymore. I'm just going to go straight into PhD. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I ended up doing that. And, you know, I was very lucky that I got a full scholarship to to go through uh, uh, to, to go through uh, grad school because I could not have afforded it otherwise. And of the six places I applied to, there is this one that came through and said, hey, you know, we'll give you a scholarship, a free ride. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. that's, uh, that's an easy answer right there. What, what were you studying? I came to study computer science, and uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to study artificial intelligence. Back then, it was all you know wireless networking or just networking sensors, all that kind of stuff. AI wasn't so popular, which was fine by me because I I was really interested in that kind of stuff. So maybe that's why I got in. Um, <laughs> there were enough people to fill the pipeline. So anyway, you know, I kept doing my PhD, and of course, I graduated in two thousand eight which is another perfect thing to graduate. Uh, all the greatest um, timing. Right. But the good thing was I was still like into academia. So I was like, okay, I'm going to stick to academia. I'm going to get my postdoc. So I did a couple of those postdocs. Um, and then I realized, okay, it's time to get a real job now. <laughs> um, so, uh, and that's how I transitioned from there in about 2013 um, to being uh, to in, to being in data science, which was the big buzzword then, mm-hmm. um, but I was able to leverage my my education, my math background, uh, the AI stuff, so it all kind of fitted in well. Plus the computer science, and since then I've been there. You know, I've been doing mostly data science, machine learning, and AI in one form or other. 
And now, did you did you ever do management or leadership training at any point? Because I understand you're you know you're a senior manager now. Um, right. How did that part of your career start? So, in terms of leadership training, um, I mean, I used to teach at Ohio State um, as ah. part of my uh, of my stipend. I had to teach a class. So for a year or two years, I, I taught introduction to programming uh, in Java. And so that was a good experience for me to sort of how to share my knowledge with people, um, even though they were a captive audience, so to speak. Yeah. Did, and, was, that, was there directly relatable skills from that? I think that the one directly relatable skill was to sort of adjust your message depending on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially during office hours, you have to explain things differently to different people because that's what resonates. With. If what resonates with people is different. Yeah. And that was something that I learned very quickly. Yeah. That's a theme we hear a lot actually is people saying, yeah, that you do you shouldn't be aiming at trying to change the other person. You should be trying to change yourself to get across more effectively. So that totally sounds sounds very yeah. familiar uh, in terms mm -hmm. of our So you went from so you were in a um, postdoc program or you were you took some postdocs at a couple of places and then you were like right. okay it's time <laughs> to go out into the real world let's try this again uh, mm -hmm. and then uh, what what kind of role did you get immediately out of school that way So I came in as a data sign as a data scientist I would say or or I was a, yeah a mm -hmm. data scientist and like and an again, individual I, contributor know. Person. Right. Yeah, yeah. And at yeah. LD or somewhere else? No, at Bosch, at Robert Bosch, uh, the German company. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. They had a, it, it, again, it's it, it's full of coincidences, right? You know, I was applying to this, to other jobs at Google or Amazon, and I saw this posting for a robotics job, which I was kind of into robotics at the time. And I was applying to that, but I, you know, I pinged my friend at the company and said, hey, I'm applying for this job. Is it a good job? Do you like this company? You've been there for a while. And he said, you know what? Don't apply to that job. <laughs> Come work with me <laughs> because I need someone in my team. <laughs> oh. So um, so I interviewed for this other job. Um, and, you know, I got in, uh, not because of my friend. He was out of the interview. Uh, but that's how I ended up at Bosch. And again, it was it's a coincidence. Yeah. Basically, who you know um, and who can keep you informed of what's going on sure. rather than yeah anything else. So I was there for, I think, four and a half years. I did uh, a lot of data science -y stuff. And it's about that time that once I switched to a senior role that I started mentoring some of the people who were also in the team, um, leading projects. And when my boss at the time left, um, I had the option to take his job as the senior manager. You said you um, you started mentoring people. How did that work? Did they come to you and say, "Hey, I, I you know you you obviously have a lot of background in this. What do I can I get some help?" Or was this a program they set up? Or how did that work? The the mentorship program they had in place. The official one was more to connect you with people in other parts of the company, uh -huh. and that way you you are not restricted to people you know just in your little group. Mm. The, the mentorship I was doing was more organic. You know, I was leading some projects. There were new people coming to the projects. So it kind of worked well from there. And at some point, I was the senior most person in that team. And that helped as well because people would come to me for, uh, for whatever, right? And there were opportunities to either stand in for my boss when he was not in town or, you know, as a project lead to, to stand in for, um, for many different things. Did you have any kind of, uh, like, 
uh, did you have to make any kind of managerial decisions or advise someone about, you know, something complicated while this was going on? Did you, uh, or is this more about like how to navigate the company, the technology, that kind of stuff? Navigate the company and technology primarily, but also issues about, you know, how do I approach this particular topic or, you know, how do I, how do I make sure that I get the credit I deserve for this work I'm doing? Or I feel like, you know, I'm not, they're not listening to me enough. And how do I, how do I deal with that? Gotcha. Yeah. And then is it like basically doing this role before you were actually given this role? Is that part of why you were given the role? Is that uh, you were kind of doing it on behalf of your boss beforehand? Uh, A little bit of both. So when my boss was leaving, you know, his boss offered the role to me saying that, hey, you know, in some ways I was the senior most person there, but also that I was ready for this job of uh, managing. And it's something I was also interested in doing. So to cut a long story short, I didn't take that job. Oh, okay, okay. You did or you did not? <laughs> I didn't. Ah, um, I, I came to LG at the time, yeah, um, <laughs> to work for my old boss who had moved to LG. Oh, interesting. So you were just like, well, this sounds great and all, but, uh, you know, I have this other opportunity or was there some other reason? No, that that was the, so that was a big reason. The fact that at LG, I had the opportunity to set up a team from scratch um, to build out this idea of what AI should be within LG, at least in, in the, in North America, that was a big draw for me. And in a company LG's size, is building out the team from scratch, pulling in people from elsewhere in LG, or did you go out and recruit the team? And like, how, how did you actually put that together? We had to recruit from outside. So okay. um, a few people were people we are already knew from previous jobs, and we convinced them, hey, you should come work with us. Yeah. And um, we had to hire, um, we had to go through the hiring process to hire them. Yeah, and what, okay. what's LG's pro- process like? Is it, has it changed over the years? Yes and no. So the interview process itself, we put in, we were able to put in our own process for what we wanted. And that's different from what other teams were doing at the time, primarily because we were a more research focused team. So we wanted to, plus we wanted them to be able to communicate properly. So we started off with a presentation mm-hmm. for anyone who's, who wants to apply for this job of their previous work, whether it's research or you know, at another company. And then we had some very difficult rounds of interviews, um, some of it coding, but mostly based on AI and machine learning. And it was different from what was happening at the time. So that part we were able to change. But, you know, LG is a big company. So there are a lot of processes already in place for sourcing and mm-hmm. how people come through the pipeline and things like that. Yeah. So that, yeah. That is what it is. Although you may have had more, had advantage having, it sounds like you were hiring folks kind of from the academia world to do this kind of research. So you had connections already. We had connections. It's also hard because the kind of people, there are fewer people, but it also means that places like Facebook and Google are, you know, a big draw for these candidates. Uh, And it's so it's very hard to hire Mm -hmm. somebody in computer science who has a PhD in machine learning to come work for us because, 
you know, the competition is very different. The scales are different when you compare to the fan companies. So, yeah. So let me change direction here just a little bit, Mesh. T- talk about, like, what's what's a problem you're dealing with today? What's something that you're chewing on leading this team uh, at LG? Are there are there big company problems at LG that, that you know, I, I mean, I just sort of assume there are because it's a big company? Uh, or what are the things that just have you um, tweaking your head? Wondering how you're going to fix them right now. What's top of mind? For every big company, the problem always is, you know, what comes down the the chain of what we should do, how to translate that into something that is, A, still relevant to what people want us to do and B, what the team wants to do. Especially when the team is, you know, very self-motivated, um, highly talented people who have spent yeah. years sort of honing a particular skill, Right. And they're, they're not very general purpose in that way. Um, and they have very fixed ideas of what they would like to work on, um, what they have you know, spent six years training for. And yeah. bridging that gap is, is key. Right? That's, yeah. that's one of the roles that uh, the manager has to do. And the, the other one is you know, more traditionally, like how do you develop your people so that uh, you know they're technically good, right? You right. know, half my team is better than me at at their task um, easily, especially the senior folks, you know. And I still have to develop them so that the other aspects of their, of their career uh, are not affected. Um, and so that is a big thing. Yeah. And is okay. that the, the people skills or is that... Uh you know, the way that they interact with each other over a PR or what are the kinds of things that you're having to coach in addition to just having really bright engineers? It's different from person to person. Some of it is communication. So being able to convey an idea concisely. Mm-hmm. And the the other part is, uh, and part of communication is also writing, right? Writing skills are important. The, the interpersonal stuff is okay. That's at least in my experience, that has not been a big problem, probably because we hire um, somewhere along the hiring process. We may be weeding out, uh, sub, uh, you know, not not uh, like unconsciously that we, we might be weeding out people that we feel are not good with interpersonal stuff. Sure. But uh, and the, the second part is leadership, like getting them to a point where they are not just doing the tasks assigned to them, but looking forward and saying, this is, what, this is what we should be doing. This is where we should be going, not from a technical perspective, but also from a, from a business perspective. Do you find that that's the sort of thing that isn't covered? In, so are these like masters, po- folks with masters in computer science or just uh, bachelor's degrees? Or uh, I'm just wondering if that's not the sort of thing that's covered at all in a CS uh, program. <laughs> yeah, they're mostly PhDs. Mm. Yeah, so they've spent a lot of time working on the things that matter to them, and you're having to transfer them into, like, you're part of a larger team now, and this thing works as a whole. Right. Uh, yeah, I could see that being mm-hmm. complicated. So you said something about, you know, maintaining their career their career path and, and what that looks like for PhD uh, folks with PhDs versus people who are just like, I want to be a software engineer. Can you talk a little bit about how that might be different? So one thing I do with the team is to understand what where they want to be, Right. And some folks have, they want to be the CTO of a smaller company. Some folks want to be the CTO of a bigger company. Some folks want to be an IC, Mm -hmm. but at a really high level. So not just principal scientist, but we're talking like, you know, one of the few people at the company that is 
is really, mm -hmm. really high up, but also still maybe a project lead rather than a people manager. Mm. So that's one of the things I do with all of them. And then the conversation we have is how can we go from where they are to where, what does that career path, what are the different paths that can take them there? A, and B, what are the skills needed along the way? And then the third part is where they are and then we decide what we need to work on. So, I mean, I want to, I want to, I want to press on this, this point and something else you said related to it a little bit earlier, where you said teaching them leadership skills. Why are you as a leader teaching all of your individual contributors leadership skills? I mean, I think I know the answer, but, <laughs> but go for it. Right. Well, the, the first one is I care for them, right? It's, yeah. It's important to me that they, they succeed, mm -hmm. right? And not just succeed to some, to some level, but succeed, even be better than me if possible. Right? Sure. And the second thing is, especially for research, it's important to keep this pipeline moving, right? If we have the same six people in the team for 10 years, I think that is not good. It's important to keep this pipeline flowing and have like new ideas come in by hiring new people. And that means essentially not just pushing out the old folks, but getting like improving them to a point where they they take on additional responsibility and additional roles and just move out of that, ah, that, that change. I love this. I love this idea. And I don't think we've talked about this very much on the show where, you know, you're growing these people, but you also have a tactical goal here in, in getting more people in and more ideas from, you know, newer, possibly younger folks who have been studying uh, academic things that weren't really even a thing before perhaps the team was formed. Mm -hmm. It's super interesting. It's good for everybody involved, it sounds like. I mean, I don't know that you would necessarily push back on someone who's like, no, I like being on this team. I like being an IC. I don't need to move. Have you had anybody like that that you've had to sort of, well, okay, that's fine. Or no, no, you need to, you need to move on. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> No, that has not been a problem, especially because I've only been a manager here for going on two years now. So, so far, that has not been a problem. Um, and it can happen. Yeah, you, you, I guess you don't need 100% turnover in the team. And most people that I've talked to would naturally like to assume more responsibility and would like mm -hmm. to do bigger and better things. Um, so that it so far, I've not had that problem. Yeah, ambition is not absent from anyone at this point. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And and so you've you've been a senior manager the the entire two years you came in at that level, right? Right. Yeah. Um, well, I came in as a uh, as a staff software engineer uh -huh. um, with the idea that I would build up the team and once once there are people to manage, I would become a manager I and see. that's what happened. So have you had uh, a lot of uh, management or leadership advice in that time? And if so, what's the best or worst that you've heard? <laughs> um, actually, luckily, I have not had any bad management advice. And part of the reason is because I naturally gravitate to working with competent people. So if I feel like somebody is not competent, I'm not going to sign up to work with them. Mm. And what is that? And you have a you're you're good at vetting that <laughs> ahead well, of time. <laughs> um, so one of the reasons I, I mean that's a that's a skill that people will pay you a lot of money for if you're good at this. Sorry, keep going. Right, it's not a explicit skill. I can't verbalize it, but so far I have been lucky with the the three managers that I've worked that that have. Uh, that I've reported to. That's a big deal. And yeah. 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 And uh, the, 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 the flip side of having competent managers 
is that you don't have a lot of opportunity to grow because they are competent, right? You're not like picking up their slack. You're not doing their job for them because they are really good at doing their job. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> like that—that—that's not a, a, a viewpoint you typically hear. Where like the, my manager is so great, I'm not learning anything about management <laughs> because I'm not having to follow behind them with a dustpan and brush. Woo. Boy, I sure right. wish I'd had that situation more often. So how do you learn in that? How do you how do you learn in this situation? How did you learn from the folks that you've worked for? Part of it was uh, I saw what was important to them and what I liked. And what I didn't like, I, you know, of course, I changed. And some of it was not just the, whether I liked it or not. Some of it is whether it fits your personality. So some of the things that my, my managers did, I knew I couldn't do because I'm not that kind of person. So I have to tweak it and make it fit into my personality, which is, so for example, you know, I'm not the kind of person who can go into a conference, into a meeting and sort of take over Mm. the meeting. Mm -hmm. Like that's not my personality. I'm more of a person who listens a lot and Mm -hmm. tries to build consensus. And so, you know, but I've had managers where, you know, he could walk into a meeting and he can, you know, towards the end of the meeting, he'll be the person that everyone turns to. He'll be the person doing the talking. It, but that doesn't work for me. <laughs> and if I tried to do it, I wouldn't do a good job of it. Yeah. So, yeah, those are the kind of things I need to tweak. Yeah. Do you do you want to become better at that sort of thing? Or is it just like, no, that's not the way I do things. And so I'm not going to be inauthentic. I, I don't want to get better at that. But I do want to get better at at becoming the consensus builder, right? And it's it's a it's a fine balance where you can go into a meeting and not say anything and leave the meeting without having said anything. Um, which is also something you don't want. So finding that balance and where to push and where not to push is it's something I still work on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a long way to go. When, when is it that you need to just put your foot down for, say, reasons of velocity or otherwise where, I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you can't build consensus because you don't have time to build consensus and there isn't consensus? Or or what does that look like if if you're not able to get there? Oh, yeah, yes. And, you know, I, I, I hate myself for doing it, but every once in a while I have to be like, no, this is what needs to be done. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I rather get to that point of doing it by saying, should we do this? Sure. Do you think this is a good idea? You know, what happens if we don't do it? Mm-hmm. And when I can't get the answers that way, you know, sometimes I have to say, no, this is what we have to do. Yeah. Well, it also feels better when everyone, when everyone agrees, then you, you all go tackle that thing. And if you fail... You know, right. it's everyone's fault. If you, if you put your <laughs> if you put your foot down and you say this is the way we're right. going, even though you know you, there is no consensus and it fails, it's just your fault. Right. Uh, and it's it's harder you, you, to you, you've, go ahead. That, that's interesting. You've given me another reason to build consensus. Yeah, right. <laughs> safety. You so you can blame others instead of having to take right. all the blame on yourself. Uh, trust um, Kendall to have the positive right? spin on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's when when there's consensus, obviously, people have a different level of buy-in, right? Um, oh, yeah. They're more definitely. excited about things that they agree with than uh, when definitely. you have to put yeah. your foot down and they walk out of the room, uh, uh, you know, willing right. to do it, but upset. So. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, you know, um, because I've only been sort of in this leadership position for a short amount of time, I have to catch myself because sometimes... With some people, it's easy to just get into this mode of telling them what to do, either because they don't talk a lot in meetings or they don't voice their opinion so much. So that's something I, I constantly catch myself doing. And I have to like sort of hold myself back and say, oh, no, I have to like 
ask what this person wants before I tell him or her, just go do this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have any stories that are top of mind of, of times where that's worked out really well or, or really poorly? Where I have caught myself? Uh, uh, I mean, or, or just in the consensus building or putting your foot down or, you know, anything related to that where that's, this is sort of in, in uh, something it seems like you've given a thought, a lot of thought to, and I'm curious if there's a specific example that stands out in mind that, that led you to this. Um, yeah, nothing I want to go into at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. So, I want to I want to go back to something you said. So you 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 prefer your style, your authentic style is to uh, to be more of a consensus builder type of a leader. So that involves a lot of listening and making sure that you understand where people are coming from. What uh, do you have particular approach or tools or tactics that work well for you in this way? And I mean, I, I understand you're you're going to try and become uh, even more better. You know, even more better uh, practiced at that. Um, Bested. <laughs> do you have a plan right, for yeah. that? Are you working on particular, you know, uh, approach to that? My only approach is to ask questions. And so that's at the, the high level, that's, that's how I do it. And what I'm trying to get better is asking, excuse me, the right questions. And that means asking questions that allow them a chance to elaborate on answers uh, rather than yes, no questions. So that's, yeah. Uh-huh. That's, that's yeah, like the, the essay question versus the yes, no, totally. Right. And, and, totally. and pausing and letting them talk for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should be better at that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, I you spent some time trying to improve <laughs> on that and just decided it was a lost cause. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something I really do like where people can, you can have a conversation, right? It's not just one person talking and another person listening. Yeah. If you can have a conversation, that it's something I, you know, and I'm not a big talker, so that yeah. actually helps. Yeah. Yeah. I always find it easier to have a discussion when there are two other people than just one other person, because mm-hmm. then someone, you know, someone can be thinking and listening and someone can be talking and someone can be, you know, hearing the, hearing the question being asked. It just allows for a lot more flexibility in having a conversation, in my opinion. Right. But yeah. it's not I agree the same for everybody. Um, so I was just going to ask a, a next question, Unmesh. One question we ask everybody on this podcast is, you know, what's your relationship with authority? How, how do you feel about having authority over others versus others having authority over you? It's a complicated relationship. You know how in the old days of Facebook, it said it's complicated. <laughs> you yeah. could make that choice. <laughs> For your relationship um, status, I don't know yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that's um, that's my relationship. One thing I don't like, I really don't like people telling me what to do, right? I, yeah, that just doesn't work for me. Like directly, mm-hmm. like, hey, you should do, go do this. Right. Yeah, and okay. It, it, it puts me in this passive aggressive mode where I am obstinate <laughs> and I won't do it. <laughs> um, and I think that comes from being the youngest of three boys and growing up, ah. you know, I never had chance to like, be in control of anything because my brothers were like, yeah, do this, do that. Uh, and the only thing I could do is what they were not interested in. So I got like the, you know, what's left over. Computer science. And, yay. <laughs> right, no, actually that, that is not true. Actually that I got lucky. Yeah. So I, I stole the best from both of my brothers. Oh. This uh, one of them is really good at English and the other one is really good at computers. And I just took the good parts of both of them. And I was like, okay, <laughs> You know, I can I can write well and I can do computers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a good combination, definitely in demand. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, that's 
that's something I, I so I try to work with people where I am given a lot of leeway to do the things. Uh, tell me why something is being done. Give me the bigger picture, and I can go and sort of fill in the pieces, right? And find ways to do it. As an IC, that's how do we achieve this goal? As a manager, it's a little more of what should we do to achieve this vision? And then I try to to extend that same thing to my to the people who work with me by telling them, see, this is what we are trying to do. I think this is the way to go. And they will, the senior folks will either fill in more of the details or uh, the more junior folks will actually tell me how to achieve something, right? Whether we should use deep learning for something or whether we should be looking at something else. And yeah, I, I, I'm very hands-off that way. I'm not a micromanager. I don't like being micromanaged. So that 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 authority, and I find it much easier to work with people I respect. I guess that's true for a lot of people, mm. but for me especially, right? If it's somebody I respect and I know that what they're talking about, they tell me to do something, it's much easier for me to get it done. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 for sure. And and so you you have you know you 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 have this issue where you don't like it when someone tells you to do something directly. Has that happened mm-hmm. recently with your leadership and how have you responded to that? I, it hasn't because, uh, you know, I was, like I was saying earlier, I, I tried to work with competent managers. Ah, yes. <laughs> so, so there's at least one level of that between me and anything that happens up the chain, which is nice for me. Yeah, you're protected from being told. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I imagine now, I, I also. I won't last forever. <laughs> oh, say that again. I know it won't last forever. Mm. Um, but the good thing is, you know, I have worked with with other folks outside of the team and up the leadership chain. Uh, one thing that, that helps me is I try to find the silver lining or I try to find what's good in most people. And so even if I'm in a meeting where I feel like 90% of the time is wasted and this person doesn't know what they're talking about, um, I can put aside that frustration and still find one or two points where I felt like, hey, this actually made the outcome of the meeting was good because it made what we were trying to do better based on those one or two things that mm-hmm. they said. And that has happened um, yeah, a few times. That resonates with me a lot. I, I'm, I think that uh, people in computer science in general, and, and I, I think of this from the perspective of being connected to a lot of people in operations in particular, there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of like, oh, they don't understand what mm-hmm. we do and they don't know why we're doing it. And so they're trying to tell us what to do. Mm-hmm. Resistance to lots of things from engineers in particular, like going to management or training or to, you know, training or whatever. It's all this stuff where they're like, oh, nobody cares about what we know. And I find that having moving up right. to the level of having to be a leader uh, uh, with those folks is very it's very challenging because I mean I feel like that myself sometimes you know as being a, a person in tech like oh management doesn't understand what we're doing um, it's difficult to overcome that but you have to mm-hmm. turn it around in the way that you said uh, the, the silver lining um, and present that to your team so that they don't just feel you know justified in feeling negative about management the whole time, right? Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Right. Uh, yeah. do, you have, do you have some tactics for yeah, that? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that? So part of me is trying to find that that silver lining, right? And that works for, for many people, but for some people it doesn't. And, and I don't have any special tactics for dealing with them. <laughs> Damn. Um, my whole point is, yeah, so the, the, it's, it's twofold, right? One is a very pragmatic point of view, which is, look, they're paying me to do something. Uh-huh. It's their company. And as long as it's not illegal or immoral, 
I don't care. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I can I can tell them whether it's a good idea or not. But if they want me to do it, I'll that's do why it. they call it work, uh, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And it's their company; it's not my company. This is how it is. So that's the pragmatic part of it. And the the, the thing that I tell the people who report to me is that look, this may this may seem like a stupid idea, but let's see what we can learn from it, right? Um, whether it's testing out a new technology, whether it's entering a completely new field, and it's another line on your resume, right? That can get you your next job at some point mm-hmm. in time. Yeah. Do you find that there's a uh, it, there's a common culture of like, ooh, you mustn't talk about where you're going next? I have I've heard that as a sort of you know taboo tub- subject at companies. Well, you know, you're forever going to work for us and love us, and I'm hoping that's changing. <laughs> well, um, probably I, my my problem is the two companies I've worked for are big companies, big big companies, but they're big somewhere else Mm -hmm. not many people have heard of or you know work for Bosch or LG in California a lot of them work for Bosch in Mm -hmm. Germany where working for Bosch is like a a sign of prestige it's like working for Facebook or Mm -hmm. Google and it's something you tell your parents right hey I got a job at Bosch they're like you're set and right exactly and the same thing in Korea right if you work for LG it's a big deal so um but that doesn't sort of permeate all the way here because we are small teams here. The uh, What I tell my uh, my team is, look, you know, you have to do what it takes to keep yourself fresh, right? Um, you never know what's coming, that, what's coming, you know, six months down the line, a year down the line. So you should be ready. And part of that is making sure that you are, uh, you're ready to enter the market at any point of time. In my case, it's a lot easier for that to happen because... AI and machine learning is so hot. You oh, can, so you hot know, right now, yeah. yeah. But you, you don't know what's going to happen in a few years. Right? So tell us, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit in mesh. This is a, a world you live in that uh, that I don't. The AI world and and machine learning. I mean, where where's this technology going? The you know the things that we hear about in the news are all related to like surveillance technology, right? Or uh, you know, I don't know. Like, what what are the kinds of things that are coming down the line in AI that are that are kind of interesting that I imagine you live in this world and can see what the future looks like a little better than I do. So once I answer this question, can I put thought leader on my profile in LinkedIn? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Endorse. <laughs> Only if it fails to come true though. Right. So, oh, oh, uh, okay. oh are you wearing a turtleneck right yeah. now? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm wearing something black. So that that'll work. Oh, huh? uh, it totally counts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I don't have any deep insights into that, mostly because I think it's, you know, predicting the future is a lot of, is like a crapshoot, right? Um, one thing I do see happening is autonomous cars, right? It, it's uh, it's going to happen in the next five years, let's say, mm-hmm. especially Whoa. in very, very sort of, uh, I want to say limited scenarios. Like if you want to go to the airport, it's going to be very easy to 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 get an autonomous vehicle to take you there. Mm-hmm. Or if you're visiting a resort or something, you will get an autonomous vehicle to take you around. And mm-hmm. part of that is not just how good AI is for the vehicle, but part of that is we are going to instrument our roads. We are going to put sensors. We are going to put all kinds of stuff on our roads that make it easier for these vehicles to move autonomously. Right. So yeah, yeah, we don't have to solve this huge AI problem. Um, it's <clears throat> it's half of it is a sensor problem, let's say, or a telemetry. Problem. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and navigation. So that's that's a big thing, and I think of machine learning as just another version of software. And totally, 
Yeah, and it's it's you know software is taking over the world as they say. So it's just it's not a huge step up from when programming became huge, but it's still like it's 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 another step, but it's not a huge step. Mm. But there are some big issues around you know people's data sets and stuff, the training that's that's right. done right, and you know this is not that podcast, so I, I don't. <laughs> I, as much as I'd love to dig into that, I right. feel like that's probably not appropriate for this. But yeah, one thing yeah, that I, I would be yeah. interested in is you're talking about <clears throat> you know, getting halfway there with uh, with AI in in uh, in driverless cars. But the other half is you know is going to have to be by that local economy to to be able to afford to instrument the roads, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. that's that's your 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 future success in that area is dependent on whether the world around you you know also uh, you know, acknowledges and, and welcomes that kind of extra expense. Uh, exactly. I, I believe you, I, I'm with you that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of, you know, how far along will local municipalities and, and so forth meet the technology. Yeah. <laughs> Super interesting yeah. stuff. <laughs> Do you, yeah. is that the kind of stuff you talk about with your team? Sometimes. Um, yeah, there's a whole lot of, you know, there's technology, and then there is infrastructure, then there is policy, right? And policy mm-hmm. is something, while we vaguely talk about in terms of AI ethics or whatever, there's a whole other policy element that at least day-to-day we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And that includes like standardization and instrumentation and changing how our roads are built and how our buildings are constructed and all of that, how garages are constructed, where we park our cars. So there's going to be a huge amount of change that has to happen before we can fully adopt autonomous vehicles. It doesn't matter how Mm -hmm. well Google does or how well Tesla does autopilot. Um, At the end, it it comes down to this, right? It comes down to building our societies to accept this kind of of vehicles. Agreed. Agreed. And I want to, it's just sort of connects to the next question a little bit. Um, This is, you know, this is a, this is an important topic. Sharing it with, you know, the people around you is pretty important in terms of the future of your industry. Um, But how has becoming a leader affected your personal life? Like, are you finding that you're able to leverage the ways that you have learned to interact with your team and, you know, with the folks at, at the companies that you work at? Are you able to leverage that in your personal life with your family and friends? And is that good or bad? So far, it's been good. Um, so one thing I've I have transferred over is to be more decisive. And that doesn't mean telling people what to do, but at least making up my mind about certain things. And before I was a leader, I was very much in the camp of, yeah, let's do this or that. You know, I don't know. But now I realize that even in my day-to-day interactions, I... I, I don't hesitate as much. I'm like, let's do this. Huh. If somebody asks me, I don't I don't tell people this is what we should do. But if somebody asks me, my answer is much more definite than it used to be. Why it, do you think that is? Like specifically, just you're more comfortable with that or you have more practice yeah, at exactly. it? Yeah. Because yeah, when, when you were the youngest brother, maybe it just was never a thing you got to practice. No, no. You're, yeah, you're uh-huh. right. I had to travel, I don't know, 12,000 miles. Get away from them. (laughs) (laughs) I've got my toys and I've left. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Well, and Mesh, tell us, tell us a little bit about your life outside of work. What kinds of things keep you entertained when you're not uh, leading in AI at LG? Right. So I get, I get bored kind of easily. So I try a lot of different things, but the, the, the things I've stuck longest with, with, one of them is swing dancing. Ah, um, cool. Or, or, 
specifically is really hard. So I spent, um, oh, when I was at Ohio State doing my PhD, I took this social dancing class, I think Ballroom 101 or whatever, right? It's basically ballroom dancing and it's a course that they teach. And so I took that, I took like one, two, and three, and then I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I met some friends there who said, hey, they were going to the swing club that is, um, you know, down the street and meets every Wednesday or something, right? Uh-huh. And I kind of tagged along because, you know, I'd made some friends and that's how I got hooked on it. It took me a while because I, you know, it's not like I did any dancing before that. I was, before I started this, I would have told you, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a good dancer, mm-hmm. but I stuck with it, became a reasonably good dancer uh, to the point where not only did I enjoy myself, other people enjoy dancing with me. Oh. <laughs> and that's always a good sign. Right? Which is, which is important. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I know a, a couple of people that are big into swing dancing uh-huh. and, and swear by the community. If it's oh, apparently yeah. a oh, yeah. pretty tight knit community. Oh, it is. It, you know, fun. when I was swing dancing, I could basically, I go to any city, but before I got there, I could post on their message boards. This was before Facebook that I'm in the city. I'm a swing dancer from Columbus. Hey, can I crash on your couch? And, Sure enough, there'll be a few people who say, yeah, sure, come on over. Oh, and nice. It was like a very, like a couch surfing community, but, you know, tightly knit. Yeah. <laughs> that is super cool. Uh, well, it's coming up to the end of, I guess we have, unfortunately. I, I want to ask more about swing dancing because that sounds so cool. <laughs> but uh, I, th- I need to ask you, uh, in case people want to follow up with you, uh, where can people find you on the internet? LinkedIn. That's the best place. That's the only place LinkedIn. I'm on. Okay, I will. I will. Oh, you're oh, not social media. Not no. well. LinkedIn's pretty much social media too now. Right. Yeah. You can kind of avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will. I will include that information in the show notes. Any last words, Kendall? No. Thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you. Which, when I started, was not so big. I mean, it's... Whoa, Kendall. Whoa. Are you okay? Yeah, sorry. I thought I hit mute first. There was a wasp that just landed on the dog, and I flipped out. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> this is I'm terrible. Sorry. Oh, yeah, Kendall. I'm miserably. Uh, I've, I've never seen this happen. I don't even know where it came from. Okay. It's dead now. Oh, Fair my enough. goodness. My mic just dropped. Oh, wow. Your reflexes are pretty good, If you're, even though you're Whew. so tired. Where were we? <laughs> we were just like, what? what's going on? Did he just fall over was, backwards? I'm sorry. No, I grabbed a notebook kind of and I was I slamming. I totally reached over and hit mute, but apparently I didn't. It should have been uninterrupted. I'm sorry, Mish. It's, it's uh, never like this. It's never like this.